right, is this working? I think it is. So I think we are ready to go, Jonathan. All right, sounds good. All right, so to <laughs> those of you <laughs> struggling to listen, I'm going to presume. Uh, welcome back to a very, very bizarre uh, and, in a way, otherworldly episode of uh, the Send Them Off MLS podcast. We are doing this remotely. I'm currently using my cell phone, so that's how good things are. Um, uh, Jonathan, I, I hope you're comfortable uh, at home since we are, you know, no longer in our normal domains. <laughs> Yep, right now I'm literally doing this from the comfort of my bed and with my laptop, and so far things seem to be holding up. Uh, that's all right. I'm in my bed too, so I'm glad we could we could share bedtime together. <laughs> but yeah, no, like, can I just say that in the span of a month, how much went down? Or honestly, as I look at the timeline, how much went down in the span of 24 hours? Like, thanks, Rudy Gobert. I say, yep, you know, once again, the man who should get Defensive Player of the Year for shutting down the whole league. Shutting down sports in America. Yep, like, find me someone else who can do that. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he was potentially being Defensive Player of the Year anyways. Yeah, <laughs> so. <laughs> well, that's basketball. We'll leave that to Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, right now, state, like, just a quick recap of, you know, what's happened in the past month, so... Up until March 12th, so far, everything was normal in terms of Major League Soccer. And then that March 12th comes, every team had played two matches, and MLS moved to suspend league play for 30 days. That suspension has been moved up with CDC guidelines to May the 10th, with the training moratorium until April the 24th, pretty much meaning that games at the earliest do not plan on being restarted until May 10th, and teams cannot get together to train until April 24th. And then, you know, from there, the rest of the dominoes start to fall. March 12th, also known as the day, you know, rest of sports was canceled. Next day, CONCACAF moved to suspend CONCACAF Champions League play, along with Olympic qualifying tournament, which one of the big reasons why, as pretty much everyone, I feel like everyone knows at this point, Olympic qualifying tournament, uh, my bad, the actual Olympics, are now postponed by year to 2021 to, you know, hopefully give everyone time to restructure things as we're watching to see what happens with the virus, if it starts to die down, treatments, vaccines are in development. And right now, MLS is still committed to trying to get the full season in, which for now seems they haven't really said anything about, you know, if they're looking at starting with games without fans first for the first couple of rounds up until getting fans back into stadiums. And one of the interesting ideas that they're looking at is potentially playing MLS Cup again in December. So normally as the calendar runs, MLS Cup is being played in about November, November. but, you know, with with the virus going around and how this is going to shift the calendar a little bit, now the idea is what if we push this and potentially do the Cup maybe around Christmas time. So... Yeah, like, Tom, what's your thoughts on how all of this has changed in almost an instant? Well, uh, first of all, of course, we'd like to say, you know, everyone stay safe at the moment as we're, you know, recording this on on April the 4th. We're still under social distancing and, you know, most of us are under some sort of stay-at-home guidelines. So please, you know, listen listen to the CDC, listen to uh, the World Health Organization. Uh, you know, probably don't listen to our president, right. but listen, <laughs> but listen to you know, uh, the the CDC, who and you know, your your governors, if they're giving stay at home orders, please take these things seriously. Um, you know, even with my own eyes, despite the fact that I have not been moving around a while, I have seen you know, people I know post on Instagram and stuff of them going out having a good time, and it's like, and not as much now as you know, more businesses are being closed. But, you know, still, it's okay to go outside, get some, you know, get some air, get some exercise, you know, where we live in this student apartment complex. <laughs> um, you know, there's a basketball you know, court, so we're getting outside trying to, you know, put some shots up just to 
a prevent from going stir crazy, but also get you know get exercise, get some fresh air. Um, but you know, don't be going out uh, to the uh, don't go to the store unless you really need something. Uh, we've been trying. I, I know whenever I go, if I have to go to the store, you know, I ask uh, Wyatt or and our other uh, roommate, you know, do you need anything to try to prevent us from going to the store as many times? And you know. It's crazy that we've come to this point. You know, we think, yeah, you know, I played for, for years. I played the pandemic game on like addicting games and uh, like Ancon Arcade. And, you know, I was playing those in like fifth grade and go, ha ha, this would never happen. Yeah. And here we are. Right. And on that note, just a massive shout to all the doctors what, who are working, try, putting their lives on the front line as they try to treat this virus. And to all the grocery workers, everyone who is not in a job or even in a setting where, you know, we it's easy for us to stay home. There are many people who simply their jobs, they can't stay home. They're, you know, helping keep society functioning. They're on the front lines. And for and this is going past but the best way for us to help them is once again, as Tom said, obey the stay at home orders, listen to World House Organization and CDC. They know what they're doing. They are watching this. They want this to pass like the rest of us do. And if we can all get you if we can all get used to the social distancing thing, then hopefully soon we can look at this as a thing of the past. I'm I'm just saying that right now PlayStation is a blessing. Honestly though, so my quarantine habits have become FIFA and Animal Crossing. And I've gotten so much better at FIFA ever since we I've had to, you know, start staying at home. So Right. So in, in a sports sense and especially with how this reacts to the MLS, uh it, it can be very disappointing for, you know, a lot of us. You know, this is the time where we need something like sports, where we need, you know, entertainment and stuff. And you know, luckily luckily for me, I'm a wrestling fan and in less well in less than an hour the pre-show starting but like in in a couple hours wrestlemania is starting and is going on ahead anyways um although of course with limitations and things that should not be happening but not getting into that but you know these are the things we we'd love love to be able to have sports right now but obviously you know for the it's for the better but we don't uh so it's frustrating and at first uh I, i feel Sports uh, and the world, especially in America, like especially America, we were really slow to react to this. Um, And so that's why everything kind of had, you had one day where it went, oh, Rudy Gobert, jazz players have this. This is now real. Right. Like As opposed to looking at people have this and it's spreading and it's very moving quickly. It's real. And it took the sports world to have it, especially, you know, took the American sports world for a player to have it, then, oh, now it's serious, which was not the right way to go about it. But again, given how quickly things escalated from there, um, they uh, they did very well. But everything fell a little late. Uh, We all were. I mean, up until we all got told social social distancing, I think we all were probably taking it not as, you know, seriously as as we should. Right, because... Um, you know, like, it honestly just goes to show, like, how the power of sports in America and how it took this happening when I feel like by March 12th, coronavirus was, we there were already cases in the United States. I think that was just around the time Washington State was starting to flare up. And it took sports shutting down for everyone to get on the same page of, hey, this is real. This is definitely something that we need to be figuring out. How can we do our best to manage this? How can we get ahead of this? Well, in the sense that you can now get ahead of it at that point once you start finding cases in the U.S. And what can we? How can we do our part? Right, and as much as I would like, you know, sports to be going and the MLS to be back up running again in, you know, say at the beginning of May which two weeks ago we were having the discussion here that, you know, the beginning of May, mid-May was probably, you know, we could see things turning around by then, you know, right. if, if we all commit to this and things go well, 
we could see this turning around and it's definitely not progressed that way. And so now I think you're looking at beginning of June is absolute best case scenario for anything getting back up off the ground in a major sense. And again, I still think that would be an incredibly like liberal estimate. Yeah. Like when I honestly look at how things have progressed, the date that in an optimistic sense, I start to think, you know, like maybe things like start going back to normal in the sense that, you know, we've gotten this under control enough to where sports can return in the sense where it's closed doors. Because I absolutely think that however this virus progresses, everything is starting off, starting back up closed doors. Just because when, when are people even going to be comfortable with the idea of standing next to 20,000 of their closest friends? Right. So in an optimistic sense, I say maybe August, September, but I think it's definitely something where everyone needs to be prepared for that. It might go for longer than that. Like we just, a lot of this is trying to figure out are you, you know, how well are we doing the social distancing? How effective is it? And what can we do until, you know, a vaccine is ready to help manage any future cases of the virus that, you know, pop up in the world? Right. And, and it, it goes to say, of course, that we are not, we are not doctors. We are not oh, yeah, no. virologists. We are, we are not experts in this. We are not. So, you know, I see to my knowledge, none are, of us are pre-med majors. Yeah, no, we are, we are not the, the people to be necessarily telling you what to do. Again, go to those sources. Um, but I very much think that this is something that will continue for a long time. And the aftermath could be extraordinary. Even if we get to a point where, you know, let's say, let's let's play, you know, benefit of the doubt. Everything goes fantastically well from here on. Like we, we get as everything goes as well as it can from here. We can we start. Let's just speak in the MLS sense. We start the MLS back up in, say, July. July first. We'll use July first as the date. Come that come that July first through fourth set of games. There is going to be one or two options here. Either there's going to be insane attendance numbers because everyone's excited for it to be back, or the exact opposite is going to happen, and it's going to be really bad attendance numbers because no one's going to feel safe going. Right, and that's the really big thing where you have to less of start of thinking this in a world where when do we get sports back, but more so when do we get sports back the way that we're used to knowing them, where you you know you can turn on a Portland match or a Seattle match or an Atlanta match and just see the stadium packed with fans. Like, this isn't going to be a kind of thing where somebody snaps their fingers and everything's back to normal. However this plays out, the fallout is going to be a gradual, a very gradual easing back into what used to be our normal. Right, and the I think the biggest problem for getting things back, uh, going back, started is mostly going to be the challenges of how widespread this is not it's in a pocket like yes new york is in an insane hot spot right now but it's you know if you look at you look at the maps of it it's all over the u.s we're over three hundred thousand cases anyways and you're gonna have one of those well say new york is the worst right now they have over a hundred thousand cases just there and um, Right, well, while we're waiting for Tom to come back, but yeah, like New York's the worst hot spot right now with over 100,000. If this thing is, if the virus is everywhere, which most projections are starting to show, at least to my knowledge, that it's everywhere, you have to start thinking, what is the bar for figuring out? You know, okay, we're good to go. We're good to, you know, start moving things back to normal. You also have to start looking at players. Like, they 
a lot of them right now are engaging in the social distancing, but what's procedure for them or even staff members? Like a lot of us focus on the players and coaches because, you know, they're the ones that we see directing strategy, actually scoring the goals. But you have to think of everything that goes on, that goes into making an event happen. The staff that runs the stadium, like what's the procedure in which you can get these games back and up and running while also minimizing risk? All right. All right. Am I back? Yep. All right. Good Good to know. Bear with us. Obviously, we're going to have some technical difficulties using I'm, – I'm having to run a podcast on my phone, which is a sentence I never thought I would do. <laughs> so <laughs> bear with us. But, uh, yeah, as I was trying to say, you know, we have big hot spots where, you know, if Nashville is perfectly fine to go play a game in, in July, what's the say that New York is? And we have to wait for the whole league to be ready. We can't wait, wait for, you know – you can't have uh, NYCFC and Red Bulls not able to play games or having to play games in, in you know, in, in say in Florida because they can't be at home. Right. It's like there's just so many factors that go into this. It's all about waiting for everyone to be on that even footing. And even then, we also have to remember that MLS is not the only one in play. We have... CONCACAF, who we're going to have to wait on them to figure out how they want to win and when they want to continue Champions League play, which that obviously then matches are going to have to get scheduled around that. Um, the League's Cup with Liga Mekis going to have to schedule around that. An Open Cup, which is also like, these are all matches you're going to have to look, figure out how to schedule around, assuming all of these competitions happen, of course, in which that's the big thing that I feel like we often skip over is that canceling any of these is definitely an option that I feel like it's one that we internally know is on the table, but we really don't like think of is actually like that possible of a solution. I I would say that I believe that canceling the U S open cup, if if we are able to play soccer again and at least get, let's say 75% of a full season in, then obviously you take those options. But I think canceling the Open Cup would be a very uh, good idea, especially because you now have to coordinate that with the USL teams and the, you know, the, the even, right. even lower teams on that, it, sh- should they make it. And I think there would just be, like, way too much to handle trying to schedule now these leagues running a condensed, some sort of condensed, or even if, the, if they, for some reason can try to want to try to run a full schedule. They're going to be much more, you know, you'll be two, two, three games in a week. You're not going to try to pile us open cup on that. And I I think the USSF and, you know, and the teams, especially the MLS teams would be much more in favor of like, let's get as many MLS games as we can. And we'll just have to skip the open cup for a year. Right. And then, even with that, like, one other thing that hit me is, which also, like, for reference, non-NFL podcast, but reality to think about is that we don't even know for certain how this is going to mess with the NFL calendar. And a lot of these teams share stadiums with NFL teams. Yeah. So Atlanta, now... Atlanta, you, New England. Nashville. Um, yeah. Nash- Nashville for now. Uh, um, LA Galaxy for now. Right. I don't think so. Actually, SoFi might be built by the, the by this NFL season. Although, who knows if that? You know, I haven't looked. But there could be complications with that now because they could be losing workforce. Right. So, like, you've got all of these now other factors. A lot of which just is not in MLS or even to a degree, not even in U.S. Soccer Federation's control. So it's going to be definitely interesting to see how this plays out. And just, like, in case, like, it's not clear, like, I'm definitely not on the record for I don't think we should have any of these back until we know that we have the virus controlled to a point where it is safe to start playing sports. And more importantly, like, we know that us bringing back these sports isn't going to make the problem worse. Another, right. Like, we need to make sure this isn't going to be a thing of, all right, we're going to bring this back so we can do a take two of this, y'all. Right. Uh, so now that we've got the time, uh, the the one nice thing that has come out of this is well we have some free time, um, yeah. So now that we've got the time, it, it, let's look at some ideas that we've come up with uh, that we think we can make we can make 
the MLS uh, a better place after this, obviously. Uh, so I, I want to give a shout out here to Cultaholic, which is a wrestling YouTube channel uh, that I follow. So, I mean, if you're not into wrestling, understandable. I, I'm a massive nerd, so I will, I will stick my <laughs> neck out for them. Um, but if you're interested in that, I highly um, recommend you go and check them out. Uh, and they do before every major pay-per-view. So obviously with WrestleMania coming out, there was one the other day. Uh, their pitches videos. So what they would like to see happen at this event. Um, and the, the mantra is always, it's not what you, and not what you think will happen, but what you want to happen. So what you, what you think would, so essentially what you want for the MLS in this case to make it better. Uh, so we each have three pitches. Um, to, to make the to make the MLS a better place, um, so I would kick it over to you, Jonathan, for your first one. Although I feel, the, the, so we have in theory we have six, but I feel like we may end up with similar ones. Right, there's definitely one that I'm thinking we both should have, but I'm gonna start off with an interesting one that's a personal favorite of mine. So for those of you who follow like it closely, last year MLS removed. Last year, MLS changed the playoff format to get rid of the two-legged series. So it used to be every round after the knockout round, each team would play two legs. I want to bring that back, but I say we make the conference finals and MLS Cup finals two legs for both of those rounds. Since those are going to be some of the biggest matches. And personally, in my opinion, two legs brings more chaos, and I'm always in favor of that. Top seed hosts like two, so if you do your job, you're hoisting that trophy in front of your home fans. And I think it definitely brings a lot more of a competitive edge to these rounds because with one game, we know that a lot can... Because it brings back a lot more comebacks, too. You mess up in the first leg, okay, you have, like, two to work with, and you can maybe either A, mount the comeback, B, fall just short, or C, get back to business as usual and continue getting destroyed. So, what are your thoughts on that, Tom? Uh, I'm definitely on board with that. I actually thought about potentially adding that as one of my pitches. Um, I, I will say I like the MLS playoffs either way. Um, so, I, I definitely, I don't think they've necessarily gone a terrible route with making it a knockout because I think they're trying to add that, you know, one game excitement, things we see out of March Madness and the NFL playoffs, which. Uh, actually, the NFL playoffs just changed to mirror the exact format of the MLS, and they acted like it was groundbreaking. Um, however, uh, the one change I would say to yours, uh, I like having two legs. I like that you keep a competitive balance in it. Um, I would only change the final. I think the final, as it is in most competitions, should only be one leg. Because um, that way you get you know the big thrill of the final. Like, this is right. it. Um and what I was what I was gonna uh, potentially say about my ch- what my change to the playoffs would be, so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I guess I'll throw it in with yours, um, is the MLS Cup should be at a neutral site, like the Super Bowl. It should be at a pre a stadium predetermined before the season, um, because majority of the time the there will not be a home team, you know, playing in that stadium. And I think that will just add to the spectacle of it. You know, being able to see, let's just say, LAFC versus Atlanta um, in Seattle. Or yeah, I can definitely get on board with yeah. that. Especially if it's in Seattle, because it might snow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's when we change MLS Cup to the Snow Cup. But yeah, yeah, I can definitely get behind having it in a neutral stadium. I know that's how they used to do some of the finals. And part of me, part of me, I don't know. A part of me is a fan of the neutral idea just because also I think it gets to be more of a balanced crowd in most cases. In most cases, you know, like you get more of a balanced crowd, which I feel like can make the energy of the stadium a lot better. But at the same time, though, I really like the idea of top seed host the final just because I then it it's puts your, on that It's your achievement. Board. And also, yeah, it's like even if you even if you lose this game, you got to host the final. Right. Which I know I'm I'm almost certain that the the teams will and the teams and MLS themselves of course uh, share the gate receipts, but um, I would yeah I, I would I would be more in favor of a final, but I definitely like the idea of going back to two legs, especially since the MLS wants to compete with those other 
you know, competitions and things like the Champions League and the Champions in Europa League, and and the and um, I mean not the FA Cup, but the FA the FA Cup is one knockout, but things like the Copa del Rey and all those competitions are all two legs. Right. And so if you want to compete with those, you need to project a similar format so that you can just show, hey, we can do that here. Yeah, and like that's like kind of goes to that big idea of if you look at for some of these teams, the MLS regular season as a practice run for teams that you'll be sending into international competitions like CONCACAF then you definitely need to normalize that format so then that way you aren't sending these teams in like, oh, we've well, never had say, to play this before. And even the new uh, – they're going to be sending teams, hopefully, to even the new Club World Cup format. So Right. It, so, it'll, it'll be it – feel it also feels more deserved to me for that team that gets to – the teams that get to the final. It's like I didn't just skate my way through each of the games I played. Because right. – because when you get in a situation where you have the tournaments like the Euros, where Portugal, like, I, I can't remember exactly because you know, this is four years now. Um, but Portugal either didn't win out of, outside of the group stage or didn't win a game outright after 90 minutes until the final. And even the final, I think they won in uh, extra time. I think they won one group stage game. And then every one of their knockout games, they won in extra time or penalties. Wow, that which is like okay, good on you. Like, well done. You still deserve to be here, but it's like you haven't won along the way. And in a two-leg situation, they go to extra time, uh, or well, they go to like penalties so less, like so many times less because there are so many factors. You have to have get a specific type of result. Right. So, and from there, it's like. You are gonna have to last last at least 180 minutes. Of you're gonna have to at least last 180 minutes. It praises consistency because there are very few times that you can lose that first leg and be able to make it up in leg two. Even if leg two is in front of your home crowd, that's still a massive ask because if you're that team that's already in the lead, in a sense you can park the bus. Really, I mean. You know, okay, I don't necessarily need to score goals. I just need to stop you from doing that. And I move on. So it just introduces so many new dynamics that I think are a lot more interesting to see play out that you don't necessarily get with that one-leg match. Right. Uh, All right, I'm going to move on to my first pitch now. Uh, And it's the big one. I I had to put this one first. It's, It's what everybody wants. Promotion and relegation in the U.S. system. Um, And primarily why I think this is going to be good for the MLS in particular um, is I think the MLS should be cut to 20 teams at maximum. That way you take the uh, six worst teams from the MLS. Let's say we're doing it like at this moment. And this will never happen. I know for a fact this will never happen. We're never going to get promotion relegation in the U.S. A man can dream, Tom. Because of money. But this is what we want to happen, not we, what we think will. So I, I very much am in favor. MLS gets cut to 20 teams. I don't want to see – I'm sorry, Cincinnati fans, but I don't want to see Cincinnati in the MLS. I don't want to see FC Cincinnati. I don't want to see presumably Vancouver. You know, I don't want to see those teams just taking up space. There are 35 teams in the USL Championship. That would also need to change because I would have, you know, the top – well, that's it. So we take six. So the top 14 teams from the USL championship, maybe even go up to 18. So you could be like the championship in England, which has 24. Uh, and then you have, you know, a, a system. We already have the USL championship. We always, already have USL League 1 and 2. So what's the stop from, I would even potentially say, basically have the MLS and have something between the USL and the USL championship. Right. Raise some teams up, and then basically keep the teams where they are now. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Ironically, that was going to be one of my pitches too, but with a few caveats in trying to like make this work. First of all, if if we were to keep accepting new teams, you if you're an expansion team, you get two free years, so you could absolutely be garbage your first year or your second year. And you get to stay in that league. 
And for me, my rationale behind that is the learning curve. I think a team that is expansion team that's their very first year in soccer as a whole should get two years to see, okay, these, these plans that we had didn't necessarily pan out. Let's get one more year at this before then we're open to getting relegated. So that way teams like Minnesota, for example, who were absolute hot garbage the second they entered MLS, but then eventually got, di- got together and almost lifted the U.S. Open Cup. I think you give those teams a bit more of a chance to help secure that people are still going to want to come and watch them because then you take away the, yeah, they got relegated in their very first year. And then the second thing that just also has to happen is that for it to work, I would think that, I don't know if you necessarily have to do it, but I think you would definitely need to kill off the USL affiliates or at least move them into a league of their own. I don't know if necessary USL affiliates should be killed off because I think they do a great job of giving the MLS teams a chance to put their reserves in actual game situations and see how they hold up against teams that are actively working to win a championship. So for that reason, I feel like they should stay, but something would need to happen. So then that way you can't, for example, have LA Galaxy 2 and LA Galaxy both in both in the top league of soccer. At the well, you, you'd have to treat it like uh, Barca, uh, FC Barca B or Real Madrid uh, Castilla, I think is the name of it, um, where they are prohibited from raising above the second division. So saying, using my system as an example, you have MLS, MLS 2, then USL, USL 1 and 2. So they wouldn't be able to make it past MLS 2 in this case. They wouldn't yeah. be able to make it up into that top tier. And and to go along with the giving expansion teams free, like, for years, I would actually go ahead and, and I have it written in all caps, STOP EXPANSION. That's like, that's partially just another pitch, but mm-hmm. I'm roping it into this one. So, especially if we're doing this, STOP EXPANSION into the MLS. All you're doing is hurting the potential of other American teams to grow. If you, especially with a promotion relegation system, if they want to enter, make them enter at highest in the championship or in the MLS two in this case, if that would be added as a thing. If you want a team in a major market, they're not going to want to be in the bottom tier. I get it. But every time you add another team, all you're doing is potentially a with the expansion draft siphoning off talent from already good teams to make the your better to make your good teams worse and just diluting the pool. That's why I would cut the MLS to 20 in this situation, because when you reduce the number of, quote, like, top teams, right. you reduce the, what we consider, these are the premier American teams. And over time, it would take time, certainly. It would take a large amount of time. It would take some 15 years, probably. But over time, you're going to raise the quality of the MLS. Because if teams and like uh, teams and their cities and you know their local governments and stuff are vying for that MLS money, you're gonna see an in, in, uh, engaged interest in signing better players and like the development of you know better academies and st- and things like that, so that we can become an MLS team as opposed to a USL team or an MLS two team. I can definitely get behind that. I can get behind that thinking of stopping ML, stopping expansion. But to me, I think there are some. I to me, I think there are areas, at least in the United States and Canada, because we do have the Canadian MLS teams that I think definitely should have the chance to earn a team. So I would say do a fix of that. But instead of completely cutting off expansion, if you want to join the American Soccer Period, good. We'd be glad to have you. But you have to start at the bottom. Well, that's so, like, what I said. I mean, a big a big market team, say Charlotte, even though at this point I would obviously say any team that you've already committed to allowing into the MLS, fine. But right. in my situation where I'm splitting and creating an, a, a, a tier between the MLS and the USL, because I think there is a big jump between the two. And that's for those the best USL teams in Cincinnati. Um you have a team, say, Austin, that's coming into the league, or a Charlotte that's coming into the league. They're not going to want a team that's in league two. And I understand that. They're not going to team. They want a team that's in the fifth, 
the you know the the fifth rung of the tier because they're not going to get fan support because the football is not going to be good to watch. No one's going to want to go to those games. So if you put them in at, at highest an MLS two, but a USL championship level, you can promote that this is still quality soccer, and that if you get behind this team in a couple of years, we can be in the MLS. Right. I definitely see that working out. I can definitely see that working out. And then from there, and, you know, I think it definitely will also, like like you were saying, you know, we put them in those lower leagues. It definitely makes the history of the early teams a lot better. It gives you a lot more incentive as an owner that if you are owning this team, you want to commit to trying to get some of the best players. And if you are a team that can pull off that, we came from nothing and we were in three years, we were partying in the MLS. That becomes such a good sales pitch for when you're trying to recruit some of the biggest stars in soccer to come sign you because you're just like, we made this climb so quickly. And with this rate, we don't see any reason why we couldn't be hoisting the MLS Cup come a few more years. Right. All right, let's uh, let's move on now to your. I know you said that promotion relegation was sort of in yours. So your next pitch, that you have. So my next pitch is, I think we should get rid of designated players, get rid of allocation money, move MLS to a format at where it's little, it operates like any other league. If you have the money, well, okay, with the exception of the XFL in the United States at least, but if you have the money. <laughs> To sign this guy, you can go after him. You have no, maybe we have a salary cap, but you don't have to worry about, oh, I can't afford this guy because I've taken up all, I can't get this guy because I've taken up all my designated designated player slots. Like, if you have the money and you want to burn it on him, feel free. I think get rid of the designated players. And my logic behind that is for two reasons. If you've looked at history of MLS, designated players were originally a thing to help promote uniformity, make it so that the league was more sustainable to grow. And I think that at this point, the MLS is in a place where it can start to grow a little more like wildfire. We don't have to start putting these restrictions on teams. And also, like, if we're going to be honest, it does not promote, you know, it does not promote uniformity when you have teams like FC Cincinnati just, like, absolutely being garbage, despite having the same access to the same number of designated player slots. And so that's why, that's kind of why I'm moving to get rid of designated players. They don't fulfill the job anymore. All they're doing is decreasing the quality of soccer. And when you want to go up against teams from Liga Mekis in competitions like Leagues Cup, CONCACAF Champions League, the reason that MLS teams, well, one of the reasons that they constantly keep getting destroyed in CONCACAF is because they, because in Liga Mekis, these teams don't have to worry about designated players. If they have the money to burn on someone, they absolutely can't. So all you're doing now is handicapping your teams and you're going to keep sending them in expecting a different result. Uh, so I, this this works out because you know, like the promotion relegation thing, uh, this was pretty much my third pitch. So, because I I was very much I'm like we the the MLS needs to focus on, especially like target market getting more European players over here, because too often our players go to Europe, and that's not I don't blame them. Right. I'd rather play in the Bundesliga than the MLS, straight up. But if we but the only way we could do that is if, as you said, increased at least increased salary cap. And I, I said roster allocation changes is what I have written down here. But essentially, get rid of DPS, allow people to sign things. And I think, I think the best example they could use is the NBA. The NBA has a has the system of, well, you are you. Certain players are allowed to make so much based on their time served in the league and how good they have been in the league, the max deals. Uh, and if you, and there are certain, so there's a there's a set cap that you are allowed to spend on your players' salaries. And if you go over that with through various different things, through like di- various different contract, very specific things like bird rights and whatever. But if you go over that, you have to pay a tax, a luxury tax. Right. And so I think the MLS should operate on a similar, not exactly the same system as that. 
we do have a cap. We will allow you to exceed that cap. But if, in doing so, you have to pay a tax. A quite a hefty one. So that it discourages people from going over that tax, but it allows you could still have the giant eats. Because I understand the reason for having salary caps and the DP slots. You're trying to make it so the Minnesotas of the world can compete with the LAFCs of the world. Right. And then, But you have to also enable Minnesota to be able to go out and sign uh, Carlos Vela. Right. Which they're not. Right. And then also from there, you and like you're saying, like we're now moving the power of teams building these effective rosters into the more of the hands of the owners. And you can start looking at it as like, okay, for example, we can have teams like FC Cincinnati, who in terms of roster decisions have made not great ones, but with a salary cap, it's potentially easier for them to get out of it. It could be, you know this guy. They could be hampered by players, for example, that they thought were worth detecting their player slot, and no, see, they weren't. But now with that salary cap, you're promoting that, okay, we now have more of a chance to fix this. This is more operating more like any other league in the world. And you can increase the number of players, even like you were saying, you know, how your contract can be influenced by how long you've been in MLS. You can get more players like... Joseph Martinez's or Diego Valeri's, where you're like, hey, listen, we know that you may be using this league because you want to, you know, eventually use this to play in Europe. And if you do, we don't, we don't blame you. But stay with us. You can make a lot more. You can make a lot of money if you stay with us, though. And we'll keep rewarding you for staying with us. And the only way to entice those big European league players to come over is if they can be paid like they're playing in Europe. And I'm not expecting it ever to get to the point where it's a full-on, I know we're, we, we, you know, strive to be the hallmark of capitalism, but I don't see a, you know, a point where the MLS is just going to say, okay, you're allowed X, like, here's your limitations. You're allowed X number of players. You have to have X number of goalies. You have to have X number of homegrowns. That's it. Have a ball, kids. Right. I don't think that's going to happen. We're not, we're not going to see a player like Kylian Mbappe coming over to the MLS and making $200 million a year in salary. Because that shouldn't happen. Because then, again, then it's going to be the New Yorks, the uh, Atlantas because of their success, and the LA FC, LA Galaxies of the world signing all the players. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when you have less of these roster rules to worry about. Assuming we're in a world where pro still doesn't happen in the United States, which, once again, a man can dream. But let's say, you know, MLS wants to keep finding ways to bring in, bring in more cities and more states. Saying that, hey, when you come in, we changed our roster rules, we operate like the NBA, we operate like the NFL, in which all you have to worry about is a salary cap. That's a lot more of an enticing pitch because it gives those cities more hope. Yeah, it gives those cities more hope as to, wow, we actually might not be hot garbage our first year if we can get this right in our roster choices. Right, and they, and like, of course soccer doesn't work like any other sport. In the NBA, you don't have, you know, you, there, there are ways you could do it. You can trade, you can essentially trade cash for a player, but you, there are not just, we are going to purchase this person, which is how it works, obviously, in soccer. Right. You know, with, you know, Neymar being bought straight up uh, for like 220 million euros. That's not, that doesn't happen in other sports in America. So obviously it can't operate exactly like those. But if you have the majority of the financial uh, stranglehold, if you will, on the teams being their how their salary cap, they can still go out and conceivably pay somebody, you know, pay a team 40, 50 million if they have it in the bank for a for a mega player and be like, hey, you might not you might not make, you know, so much money. We can only offer you so much money because we are a salary cap, but obviously you will get a signing bonus. You will get some percentage of your fee. Of we're paying you, we're paying for the other team four to five million for it. You get five million out of that. And you know, also imagine what the American market can do for you in terms of endorsements. 
Yeah, definitely. Do you have those things available for for trying to entice players over that aren't explicitly, oh, we can pay you X number of dollars a year? Yeah, it's like being able to hit on those aspects where there's just so much that's different in playing in America versus playing in Europe that you can get that you can get by, you know, signing with MLS in this hypothetical, of course, where we do get rid of the designated players. Uh, and I think from there, we'll also start to serve as, it could potentially, in a super optimistic, this goes really well strategy, is that it can start to increase the prominence of soccer in the United States. Like, you don't have to worry necessarily about teams teams not being able to play playoff matches, especially ones that do share NFL stadiums, um, because you don't have to, you decrease the chance that you'll have teams where it's like, okay, we made the playoffs. Great. We can't play round one here because we shared the stadium, for example, with Tennessee Titans, and they've got a regular season game. You can make more of a cooperation by bringing in the salary crap approach that makes it more normal versus a, okay, yeah, the Titans are the main tenant. Nationals is something we've got on the side. And, and not to mention, you know, for those teams that play in stadiums like that, you have, like, the, the Revolution. They're owned by Robert Kraft, who uh, obviously owns the pa- Patriots. If somebody tells, you know, Mr. Kraft, well, now that these things have changed, uh, you know, if you spend X number of dollars to bring, let's say, Pulisic back to, back to America and then playing for the Reds, Guess how many of those seat of those NFL only seats you're gonna now be able to fill for MLS games? Right, because you've got Captain America as he's called. Yeah, definitely. Wonder Boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so much could happen if any MLS executives are listening right now, and they're not, you know, trying to, you know, if they're not focusing right now and trying to figure out when to reschedule the season. If you are listening. Please take this idea up. We would love to see it. Yeah, yeah, Don Garber, if you're listening, A, I appreciate the hell out of the fact that your uh, username on Instagram is the Soccer Don. <laughs> and B, please take please take these uh, ideas in, in hand. I say yeah, definitely. We we might just be some some you know young idiots, but <laughs> you like we know what we want to see, right? <laughs> you know, like all we ask is that you give the people what they want. Yeah. Free of charge. We were offering up these ideas free of charge. Of course, of course. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to move on to my next pitch. Um, I believe this will be our last one since we both took one of our others. Right. Um, and th- it's hard to explain how this, I guess, how you would make this happen. Um, but I would like the MLS uh, and, and in a way the teams to focus on creating more and better rivalries. Because when I look at the MLS, I see El Trafico has become a great rivalry. Great. That's nice. I see the Cascadia Cup, I mean, pretty much Timbers versus Seattle, but that being a great rivalry in the MLS. And I look elsewhere, and I see rivalries, but I don't, like, those are the only two to me that I'm like, this is something that can rival European rivalry or even a South American rivalry. Right. And I think the the MLS needs more of those. Like if I look at the Premier League, I can see Liverpool Man U, one of the biggest rivalries in world football, and then the Manchester Derby uh, between City and United. You have the Merseyside Derby between Liverpool and Everton. You have uh, Spurs and Chelsea is a big rivalry, especially now. Uh, You know, you have Arsenal and Spurs. You have rivalries everywhere. And I get that they, obviously, those have been much more longstanding. But the MLS and the teams, if that, and I mean, like, the teams, if that's the PR person taking shots at somebody on Twitter, I don't care. They need to focus on trying to create big, exciting matches because you get to bring more intensity, more eyes, more fans to regular season games, which will in turn build up every team in the league. Because the more people you have watching because, well, I don't know, Giovanni Savarisi said something offensive to Bruce Arena, so now we're rivals with the Revs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The more eyes you bring to that, the more TV money you're bringing in. Right. 
And in trying to create those rivalries, I think there's a few steps they can take. One of, I say, in, you know, some rivalries, they're developed in a geographic sense. Like, a lot of people, like, you know, like Cascadia Cup. Like, you've got Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver all in that little area right there. Um, to a degree, you have Montreal and Toronto. Um, I'm trying to think. In the southeast, I know, like, Atlanta and Nashville was supposed to be hyped as a big rivalry. doesn't help when you put them in the other conference, so you only get one game out of that. But I, to, be, to be fair, that is four, I believe, a right. year. But. So it's like, I think a little bit, one proposal that I would like to see if we're trying to develop more of these rivalries, which wouldn't be that unheard of, is when they're looking at making the season schedule, try and make make it where it's like teams that, you know, it's just the two of them, have them play each other three times a year. And the one way you can do that without increasing the number of games is simply just have those teams not play one additional Western Conference opponent, which isn't that unheard of because this year, to my knowledge, everyone plays someone in the other conference. Everyone plays every someone in the other conference but three teams. So three of those teams this year aren't you aren't getting shots at three of those. There's no reason we can't necessarily grow that number if we can get more three match rivalry games out of this. And I think it would help a lot. And as much as I, some sports I don't necessarily like it a lot. And as long as they don't place too much of an emphasis on this down the line, I can get to that in a second. Um, but we are expanding the MLS here. We're good. They're aiming for 30 32 teams. They want to be like the other uh, American sports leagues. You want to be in conferences, have divisions, have those teams play each other more. Right. That's how you're going to start more rivalries. And now don't go ahead and do like the NFL, where if you win your division, you're automatically in the playoffs, regardless of the fact that you are below 500 looking at you Panthers. (laughs) But like, don't and don't do the NBA thing of oh the three division winners get the top three seeds in the conference. No, you should still have to make the playoffs. No advantage for division winner, but make it so that those teams are scheduled more often. Now you can have a, maybe a rivalry bruise between Orlando and Inter Miami, which I don't think will happen because Orlando is not good and Inter is well we haven't really got to right. see it yet, but Inter is. Presumably going to be good in the next couple of years because they're they are projected to be on the Atlanta, LAFC type of track. Right, and even then, like if you can schedule these some of these matches to be, for example, decision day matches, where you can have one of these rivalry games be the very last game of the season, you can start to cultivate even more rivalries. Because, for example, like you were saying, into Miami and Orlando, people anticipate that becoming a rivalry just because Orlando's kind of garbage. But can you only imagine, let's say you put that as a decision day match, it, how maybe Orlando, you know, sees that we can mess up in Miami's playoff chances if we win. We might not knock them out, but they're going to have a lower seat because of this. Like arranging the calendars and that way you're going to have these matches be near the end when teams are trying to maybe win games to get a better playoff seat. Win a game to make the playoffs in the first place. Arranging. Yeah, and it's like, like, it, it's sad because we have so many potentially ready-built rivalries in the MLS that just don't happen. Right. But, I mean, they, I mean, obviously they happen. They play. Except for right now. But <laughs> obviously they play. But it's not – you feel like it needs to be a rivalry. Like, the, when New York uh, City came into the league, we thought, okay, them and Red Bulls are really going to be gunning it out. Bad. <laughs> That's <laughs> not happening. Yeah, that has not happened. They couldn't – you know, give a toss about each other. Now, I know that's in part because, well, now uh, Red Bulls have gone down as New York City has risen, but still, you know, you should want the other team to be at the bottom of the conference. Right. Or vice versa, you know, depending how you view rivalries, you want that other, you want your rival up there fighting with you because it makes things better. And definitely, like, and can you only imagine how much a well? I mean, we kind of got a taste of it when we had an El Trafico in the playoffs, but an El Trafico in day. in potentially the greatest the greatest and also ugliest MLS game that has ever right. happened. Like, or even you know, if things develop the way they should, you could potentially get an Atlanta Miami decision day match. You could get, um, you can know you can get Portland Seattle to be that those last matches of the year, 
And who knows? Maybe even to a degree, like you can get teams like Vancouver and Montreal going at it last of the year. And if nothing else, they're playing for that. Okay, once again, I can mess you up out of the playoffs. And by the way, get a crack at maybe claim myself being Canada's best team. So much can go down if you can work the calendar to your favor. And I think that that is one of the ways you go about it. I also think that uh, the MLS needs to do a better job of, in a way, forcing rivalries to happen. Forcing, you know, just... I don't care if it, it will annoy me when it happens, if, you know, say this happens. But if Orlando and Inter are playing, it'll just put it on social media everywhere and just be like, who's going to win the Battle of Florida? Who's going to win? Who's right. going to win? And I know the Battle for Florida, ah, it means so much. Because whether or not I go, haha, it really doesn't, eventually you do that enough, it will. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, for some rivalries, I feel like you can get to the point where if we're going to take a page – you know, maybe in a really perfect sense, if we want to take a page out of college football's playbook, some rivalries even have trophies attached to them. Start bringing that in. Give them actually something physical yeah. to play for. You want to take this and hold it for one more year, and you want to take it from that opponent, give them something real to fight over. Well, yeah, give them something real. Like, put some object in hand of this. Right, like where I, w- I want the actual Cascadia Cup. <laughs> yeah, I want to see like, the the you know the Timbers beat Seattle on, on match day thirty three, and hoist up this trophy that's ha- like a third mountain, a third log slab, and a third whatever I, the hell a sounder is, and you know just going losing their minds because of it. Right. You know, you can get, in a sense, you can get more cup matches without even building extra tournaments. Like, this could be one of the, could be one of the easiest moves to, one of the easiest moves with one of the best outcomes that MLS could do. Yeah, and building rivalries is only going to grow the sport because that is how you get local fan bases involved, you know? The people in Philadelphia don't really care about their soccer, don't care about the Union. They care about the Eagles, and they care about the Flyers because punchy, punchy. But if you can get them going, you know, going, say there's a Pittsburgh team put into the league, right? Right. If you could get them going against a rival, or even, you know, New York, they always hate New Yorkers. If you could get them riled up against when playing games against NYCFC, you can get more people going to those games. And now you've just built a, a better soccer market in a place where you don't necessarily know that, that you could build that. And, you know, in some areas, you might be able to do things like, for example, let's say they want to cultivate the New York rivalry. Have them play one of those games in MetLife Stadium. I know it's not, I know it's not in the state of New York, technically. It's in New Jersey. But, I mean, make these, have some of these rivalries take place in because it's Red Bull's home game, but yeah, right. Like, have them take place in things like make them big things, make them things that, like, hey, listen, like, for one match of the year, we're, we're going to MetLife to throw down. Like, yeah, have you know, have watch this. Like I said, put them in divisions, have the, them play their division three times, and you could do, you know, for most of them, you can do, you know, two at home, one away, and the next year you switch, but you could do, let's say opening weekend at MetLife between the New York teams, and then they play home and away. Right. You know, you get Orlando versus... You get Orlando versus Miami at the, the Citrus... Or, well, they play at the Citrus Bowl, but at the... Um, well, they used to play at the Citrus Bowl. At the... Um, Camping World? Camping World Stadium. At the Orange Bowl. Right. Or you, and, you know, like, if Miami wants to host a leg of it, you know, maybe they go down in Sun Life Stadium... Yeah. Well, now Hard Rock Stadium, but point is, yeah. like, they can rent out these bigger stadiums for one match, which I think, to a degree, is what San Jose does with one of their rivalry games already, where they do one of their matches in Stanford Stadium, because it's like, this is something that we know, we do this right, everyone will want to see, stop hiding the playbook, let everyone... More people. Right. 
once again, Don Garbage, if you're listening, all we ask is that you just say these ideas courtesy of, of Tom and Jonathan. That's all we ask. Right. Um, and, and yeah, the, the Kako. Between LA Galaxy uh, and the Quakes ha- apparently took place at. Uh, okay, no, sorry. Yeah, but apparently has taken place at Stanford Stadium. That's a usual, you know. Right, and like people. Probably. Right, and you know, like even when Nashville, you know, gets their new stadium built, if they want to do that rival, if they want to do their rivalry matches over at Nissan Stadium. It's gonna like roll out the big roll out the big guns for this for these games. Right. And and if you wanna go as far as oh, we have Nashville versus Atlanta, again, I I would say more of the time you don't necessarily have to go to these neutral sites, but it would be nice, a special occasion, you know, at least once a season for not necessarily each like big rivalry, but at least once a season you have a big neutral site game like this, probably, you know, kickoff weekend. If you want to say, hell, let's put Nashville and Atlanta, they're getting heated. Let's put them in the Superdome in New Orleans. It's close enough to either one. You know, they're both close and far enough away that they have a similar advantage. Let's go all out opening night. You know, put it on a Friday night being the first game of the MLS season. Make that make or, games mean something, or even better, like kind of like stretching the idea a little bit for that first game of the season. Make it that Friday night, but make the first game of the season be an MLS Cup rematch. Like if you if you got the MLS Cup and you lost it, you know what? First game of the year, you get first crack at trying to take out the champions. Yeah, like how almost <laughs> say almost every season the Hall of Fame preseason game is you know, a rematch of the Super Bowl. Right. Or at least a rematch, or, or it's a matchup of the AFC champion versus, like, the loser of the AFC championship. Exactly. Make those big first games mean something. Mean Make games against, like, teams that you play a lot mean something. I think that and would if be you're really, really And if you're really trying to, you know, expand the American soccer market... Like you were saying with that idea, like put it in New Orleans. If you're thinking about what would New Orleans support soccer, put them there. See if anyone in the city, you know, turns out for this. And from there, you can have at least a beat on, you know what? They might be an interesting place for us to go. Like yeah, you can start putting them say, and that don't have Even if you're not necessarily like looking at a place for expansion, if you play, oh, every year we're going to play a game in the Superdome and we're going to feature two teams that want to slide tackle the piss out of each other, then they're going to want, in theory, they're going to want to show up and you could build a market there that they will support a team. Whether or not they, they have one themselves. Right. Like it could be for you. It can be like for you, like how the NBA, for example, does games in Mexico, NFL does games in London. Like obviously Almost everywhere in the world has soccer, but at least within the United States, when you're still trying to figure out how can we get the country behind, you know, soccer, you can st- you can at least start testing the waters, and you know, this can come back and work for you, especially when you can start announcing teams like potentially New Orleans SC. I think uh, I think go- going off of this, not really based on the basis of the rivalries, but I think I'm going off on this this little tangent about. You know, playing games different places. Preseason games should kind of tour. Like the Revs should do a preseason game at you know UConn, for instance, or at Rensselaer, at Rensselaer Field in Hartford, right. just to try to expand their their market. You know, like maybe you have DC United, maybe you have them go up to FedEx Field for a preseason game and see what happens. You know, I mean um, that's getting them further outside of DC, but yeah. <laughs> True. But, you know, you can see, like, hey, like, you know, people in Maryland who live that far want to see what this thing's about. Um, Let's see. You can have potentially, you know, for some preseason games, because I know some teams try to play, you know, like international teams. Maybe you have the union take a shot and play a game at um Lincoln Financial Field. Or, so, you, you know, know, hey. 
getting they they want to build a partnership with Liga MX. Maybe instead of <laughs> only playing Liga MX teams in like the ICC or in these big comp like instead of in these big competitions, you have preseason because they run similarish schedule schedules. You say, hey, we're gonna send a couple teams down to play a couple of your teams preseason in the Estadio Azteca. Right, and you know, it's like for if one of those teams just happens to be, you know, also this is con- uh, continuing a trend happens. You are gonna have some Liga MX teams lose to MLS teams, like um, Club America did. You can put that as the bar of you know either A, can Liga MX continue its superiority over MLS, or B, can these teams that mess up get a crack at trying to fix this and regain their status over the MLS teams? I got disconnected for a second. Uh, Say so that, that, that's all right. We we are nearing uh, the end, anyways. Maybe that is a sign that we have run our course. <laughs> you know, that's Anchor's way of telling us, yeah, yeah. y'all, y'all need that, to That's the yourself. Anchor's version of you, know, you leaning through the uh, the the studio window and giving the rap signal during the the TV show. <laughs> right. Uh, I, th- I think it's safe to say uh, the-, the MLS might be a better place with us in charge. I don't know what you think. It would also be Honestly, in a fantasy I, land. We would but... have so much fun if we... Yeah, yeah, true. But, you know, one day, if one of us becomes commissioner, we'd have so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I hope everyone out there, again, is, is staying safe, um, you know, finding something to entertain them in this time, whether that be a new TV show, a new PlayStation game, or Xbox, you know, don't discriminate, uh, or PC for, for our friends like Jonathan. Um, or, you know, Nintendo Switch. Like, I know I've seen a bunch ooh, of my friends hopping onto that with Animal Crossing. Like, doing whatever it takes to bring back some sense of normalcy during these extraordinary times. Like, once again... Really hope that everyone is safe where you are. Is please, if you're not already, please follow the social distancing guidelines. And if you are, thank you to you. You're you're going to be one of the people who helps bring this brings to an end. A shout out to the doctors and everyone trying to keep society running as they try to fight this virus. Yeah, so uh, I think that'll do us do it. For us now, I cannot tell you when we will be back. Hopefully, I I'd like to think that we can get together and um, you know, at least put together some some more content. Got to right. get the content uh, like, in, know, in these said, times. Who said there being no soccer was going to stop us? Yeah, uh, I, well, I don't know. It seemed to have worked for about three weeks, but uh, yeah, probably more than that. I haven't looked. But, um, yeah, that'll do it for us this time. Uh, Everybody out there, stay safe, of course. Jonathan, it was lovely being able to talk to you again. Um, Same to you, Tom. uh, Hopefully we can do this again in maybe a week, maybe four days, maybe three weeks. Who knows anymore? Right. Uh, That'll do it for us this time. We will hear from you. Well, Well, you will hear us is a better way to say that.